Welcome to the Leadership Update Brief. Today's entrepreneurs and business leaders face change and transition as a constant part of daily life. Inspired by stories of today's military veterans and service members, we embark on a journey to explore their transformations and equip ourselves with new ideas and motivation towards mastering the challenge of working with dynamic and changing environments. Here's the host of the Leadership Update Brief and the guide to your journey, Ed Brixie. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Update Brief on C-Suite Radio. Today we're talking about veterans leaving the service and entering the financial services industry. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Change is a tricky thing, but military service provides one key ingredient to managing it resilience. It's no secret that veterans abound in this one particular skill, but vets being able to articulate it in the civilian world and hiring managers, recruiters, and businesses in general, asking the right questions to bring it out in their applicants, both lead to a lack of acknowledgement of this crucial skill. Resilience is the ability to act in the face of changing and adversity. Every veteran has been through any number of crucibles, professional development events where they're challenged and forced to overcome both personal adversity and team-oriented challenges. Every business I talk to wants this skill within their teams because this same environment describes every single industry and market. Bridging this gap is a critical task for not only hiring managers, but for veterans. We both have areas that we can improve on. Today's guest has exemplified that area. I have the great pleasure of speaking with Ed Smith of Valor Wealth Partners, a Marine veteran who stepped up and embraced change and challenge in every aspect of his professional life. From leaving the Corps to finding his way through school into the financial services industry just in time for a crash, to now starting his, his own practice and redefining what it means to help people make some of the most difficult and significant life decisions. We will be right back with Ed Smith. You're listening to the Leadership Update Brief on C-Suite Radio. Welcome back to the Leadership Update Brief. I have the great pleasure of being here today with Ed Smith from Valor Wealth Management. How are you doing today, Ed? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, Ed. Oh, very happy to have you on here. So serving in the Marines back in the 90s and then making that transition into finance, that's a fantastic story. How does that compare to what you see happening today with veterans? Well, I think there's a, a lot of people look at veterans as you know needing help. And there's a lot of us that are highly functional and and out there doing great things, starting companies, working at high levels in companies. And uh, there's a lot of us out there that need to get back into the veteran community so we can actually be there and be a resource for the newer veterans that are coming out. Some of us that have been in business for a while and uh, need to grow our companies and build that leadership. So I think there's a lot of potential there. No, certainly. There's a ton of potential. What's one of those things that sets you apart? Is that something the Marines to get you started on your path into this career? Or 
how'd that come about? Well, I, um, when I got out of the Marines, I went into college and I was so lucky. The experience I had with the Marines just really propelled me um, to graduate college early with honors, a um, couple of minors, and then bounced around a little bit trying to find the right fix and then went into the financial services, uh, work for a uh, stockbroker. The first day I was able to work with clients' accounts was the day the Dow dropped 800 points in 2000. Um, so it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. first, first couple of years, you know, really hanging out um, and trying to be able to survive in an industry where there's, you know, over 95% fail ratio. And a lot of it has to do with not having the skills or the networks, which I didn't have any of the networks to be able to grow. I was doing $2,000 IRAs back then and barely surviving. And I, the time in the Marines gave me that drive to push through and, and get through the tough times to be able to get to the times that um, we really can be able to help more people and, and do a, a good job. No, sorry. I think that's one thing the military teaches you, if nothing else, is just the ability to persevere and a little bit of grit and persistence. That stubbornness. Yeah. That's yeah. Perfect. It's a good way of putting it, just being stubborn and not so much like the bullheaded type of stubborn, but just the having the wherewithal to go through it. Right. So what made you have the leap then? Um, so a long time, kind of a corporate career and now starting off your own practice. <laughs> Right. It's, I've been almost 20 years in the uh, financial planning services area, and there's just been so many changes that have been going on recently. Uh, legislation, people's perceptions, uh, pricing models with technology. Um, where I was, it just was not grasping the changes that were going on and, and changing the models. And so I just saw that there was a new way to do things. And uh, originally, it wasn't a plan to start my own firm. I was actually going to go and help other advisors learn about the changes that were going on. Uh, but as soon as I left, clients reached out to me and said, hey, we really want you to manage our assets and help us with the planning. So I put the company together last September and October. And so far, it's just been a phenomenal run. Uh, but being able to do it yourself and have control over what is there and, and be able to dictate how to be able to do things. And obviously, you learn from mistakes as well, but you, you grow from those. No, certainly. Where are some of the biggest malls you see changing there in the financial service? Because I've talked to quite a few vets who look at entering into that space. Yeah. The, the biggest area is, is transparency and ethical um, leadership in the space. And what I mean by that is there's, there's basically three models of how we charge clients, either a commission, a asset under management, which is a percentage of how much money you have, or a monthly retainer or some type of retainer, which is a flat fee. Um, all of them are good. It depends on the person that's actually doing it, not the model itself. So you could have a very ethical person under each one of the models. But with a commission and an asset under management, there's a lot of conflicts. There's a lot of the advisor getting money for the services that they do and also could be a conflict of saying, well, hey, if I have more money that I manage, I'm also getting paid a lot more. Where a flat fee... I don't get paid more if I bring more assets over. And there's obligations and contracts that are showing this is exactly what I'm going to do. So I moved over into the monthly retainer model uh, just to be more transparent, but also to be able to provide value to people that weren't getting that, that value. And what I mean by that is most of the advisors today are going for high dollar amount clients, mostly retirees, and they have little amount of work. There isn't a lot going on as a retiree. Most of the work an advisor does is really 
in that say 35 to 55 year range where they're having kids, new job changes, changing houses, layoffs, divorces, marriages, um, all that type of stuff. And because they don't have assets, they're not being able to get charged by the advisor. So advisors don't necessarily want to work in that marketplace where I found a way to be fair and ethical to everybody by having a monthly fee based off of what somebody actually needs versus how much money they have. No, sorry. And that's a huge shift in the in the model right there for the industry, moving away from the assets under management or the commission basis. And for the demographic you were just talking about, that 35 to 55, it's the young families, the people who are trying to figure out, okay, I'm self-aware enough now in my career that I know retirement's coming. How do I get there? Right. It's it's there's just a lot of questions and just because they don't have money or even if they're, you know, 25 year old with a lot of debt, they still need some guidance and somebody has to be able to provide that. So by not having minimums, we can be able to provide it. And if they want to pay us based off of what their needs are, we can be able to work with somebody. So it's, it is a unique model. The biggest challenge that I've had is educating people of the transparency and showing them what that fee is versus a hidden fee that they didn't even realize they were paying or how big that fee was. You know, when somebody says, oh, we're only charging you 1%, that can be a pretty big number. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And it's getting away from almost some of that stigma that's been created across the industry between people still trying to have that bad feelings about 2008 or just the general stigma and agency issues that can come along with that type of a commission-based focus. Right. And you know, in, insurance is one of the big areas where there's a huge conflict. You know, If I tell somebody they need, say, a million dollars of life insurance, they look at me as, well, do you need the commission or do I need a million dollars of insurance? And when I'm not getting any compensation by putting that in policy in place, they know that they need a million dollars of insurance. So that takes that completely off the table, that conflict. And it's very helpful uh, to be able to have that relationship and not worry about them questioning you know, where I stand on the ethical scale. No, absolutely. Is this something you see too with a lot of transitioning veterans entering in this space? I mean, we've all heard the story and I I know I've had some soldiers that they sign the deal, they get they come back from deployment, they think they've got all this money, they blow it all on the down payment for that brand new Mustang at 30% interest and just kind of screw over their finances for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think there's a, a huge uh, group there with the veterans that can be able to use some of this guidance. And sometimes it's just budgeting and debt management and and showing them where they can be able to, where we can help them out and, you know, what a real emergency reserve is versus what they've been told. I think that a lot of people are still on the models from the 1960s um, of having so much in emergency reserves where we can actually use other vehicles for those reserves um, and get these people out of debt. And student loan debt is another big thing that, you know, veterans and everybody has that is just crippling them to be able to actually start saving and do good things or even spend money on a, on a positive way. No, certainly. I mean, working with the debt, even if it's at a low interest rate, is still much, much higher than anything you're saving in a traditional savings account these days. Right. And and so I work with some veterans, but I actually, the, the niche that I'm actually working in is with federal employees. Um, so I found that they have a very complex set of uh, employee benefits, and that does transfer over to a lot of the military as well. Uh, but it's just that group of people really needs some advanced help and advisors that are trying to help them without those skills can really be hurting them. So it's, you know, it's looking at that service model of people that serve others and trying to be able to help on a, on a bigger picture. 
No, certainly. What are some of the big questions you see coming out of the federal employment system? Uh, a lot of it has to do about their their pension and how Social Security interrelates. Uh, sometimes it's about their spouse and their health benefits. You know, they're incredible um, health insurance, but the problem is, is that health insurance costs go up more than the pension go, um, cost of living rise, rises. So mm. there's a big problem where that that can catch up um, if they're retiring young enough. So there's a lot of complexity there. There's also a lot of complexity on, do I take the survivor pension benefit? Do I find, say, insurances to cover that? And it's great to be able to provide that without that conflict. So that's a, a huge area of, of helping them out. But I'm also seeing um, former um, service members, some veterans are actually looking to be able to work with me to uh, work in this space. So I'm actually looking to hire some veterans and, and grow that as well as not just for clients, but also, you know, I like the mindset and how they think and, you know, how they can solve a problem strategically. That's really helpful in this business. No, certainly. What's, what is it about some of the strategic thinking and a little bit of the problem solving skills there? What do you see in that, in veterans that's different than some other populations? (laughs) Well, I think it really has to do with starting out from the problem first, devising a plan coming up with a solution and then being able to effectively communicate that to whoever you have to be able to do it. Um, and part of that has to do with being able to convince somebody that they have to do something that they might not want to do. And I think that a lot of veterans have been in such adverse situations, they can handle the bad news. It's there, they can't change it. And they're comfortable being able to talk about these types of scenarios. And they're also not offended if Somebody says, no, I don't want to do that. They say, all right, well, let's find another solution and let's go into there. So it's, it's that ability to, to keep growing and going forward. And part of that is with the military, we have all the after action reports and that helps when you're analyzing, what did I do? How can I do it better? You know, I wasn't able to help this person. Was it my fault because I didn't communicate it right? Or was there something else that was going on that I, maybe I didn't understand? So being able to understand that can be critical to help more people out. No, certainly. That's some great advice right there. And it just, it goes back to the basic military decision-making processes that we get harped on quite a bit throughout the service. And it's being able to apply that in this new environment. Definitely. I think that's something a lot of vets don't quite understand sometimes as they're transitioning out of the services, how many of those skills are indeed transferable. Yeah. They, they look at the the MOS or the job that they were doing. I mean, I was infantry and there's not a lot of infantry jobs that are out there in the civilian marketplace, but a lot of the skills that I have learned in the small unit leadership uh, is huge. And, and so many companies need that type of strength. No, absolutely. And so you mentioned earlier a little bit about just getting more involved with veterans. I see you're starting to get involved with uh, Team Red, White, and Blue. How's, how are things going up on that end up here? It's going really good. I was the uh, athletic director a couple years ago. And then uh, last fall, they reached out to me and said, hey, we really want you to come back into a leadership position. Uh, So I'm now the chapter captain for the Boston uh, chapter of Team Red, White, and Blue. And we're really getting some good partnerships with some different organizations, Home Base, Center for Advancement of Veterans over at Northeastern University. Um, The mission continues, Team Rubicon. So with me, it's that partnerships and building the strength with everybody that's out there. Uh, Sometimes we get as veterans, we get into our little tribe and those are the people we talk to versus going beyond that and saying, Hey, wow, there's something else that I could be able to do with some more veterans that I didn't even realize that was capable. No, certainly it's these little tribes, they seem to be cropping up all over the place. And 
What is some of the greatest strengths that you've seen coming out of these partnerships you've been able to create? I think it's just having some fun. You know, a lot of times people look at Team Red, White, and Blue. So we're our mission is to help veterans get back into the community through social and physical activities. Um, and some most people say, oh, you mean you guys just run? And it is a lot more than that. Um, so we have low-impact sports too. So we're actually going to have a kickball game with a home base. We're going to go camping with um, Center for Advancement of Veterans in late August. Uh, it's a great opportunity. There's, I think, 36 campsites and 33 of them are veterans. Um, so there's only three in the whole campground that we don't have for veterans that weekend, which is just going to be a, a great weekend. Um, some other things, it, there is running, but there's socials afterwards that we get together and talk. Uh, I was just, uh, we had a run and we we're talking afterwards with a good group from Chicago that came in and actually it was over marathon weekend and then they were doing rucking the next day and I was there to support them and cheer them on, make some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to keep them fueled up. So there's just a lot of different things that you can do. Um, and, and cross through those partnerships. Nice. How do you see, what What are some of the best ways you've learned to try to create those partnerships and break up some of this tribalism? Because you see a lot of organizations out there, they're kind of almost a little territorial sometimes. I think the the best thing to be able to do to, to break up the that territory type of stuff is, is to look at, at it from the other person's perspective. Um, we actually just did a um, flag planning uh, for Memorial Day weekend, and we had the mission continues out there. And we also had Operation Code and uh, Vet Force from Salesforce, which is a phenomenal program as well. And so we had three groups doing this uh, one activity, which is just a way to be able to reach across those levels and say, "Hey, we have something here. You know, maybe we have a trivia night that you can go to." Um, so there's just a lot of ways to be able to help each other. And, and part of that is just trying to figure out what their mission is versus always looking at yourself and saying, what can they do for me? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's some great advice. So wrapping things up for veterans coming out of the service, wanting to get a little more involved in the community, maybe wanting to make this leap, some of the leaps that you've been able to make. What are some of the big takeaways that you've learned throughout all of this process? <laughs> yeah. Don't sit on the couch and wait uh, 15 years to get back involved in the veteran community. Uh, that's the biggest thing I can say. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, uh, the veterans coming out today are so fortunate that there's so many groups out there willing to support them in whatever they are, whatever whatever they're doing. Um, you know, Bunker Labs and uh, Veteran in Residence Program here in Boston. There's ten of us that are in the program. We have free uh, rent for six months, but we have more importantly, it's it's mentors, it's meeting connections like yourself, um, just partnership up, keeping people accountable. But then there's other things when people need. Um, connections, just getting out there and talking to somebody and they're having a rough day and they just needed to have a buddy to talk to and go have coffee with. So, you know, I would say that instead of disappearing from the veteran community and, and not just your branch, but all branches is, is just go out there and try to figure out who's there. Um, you can visit us team rwb.org and um, we can help we connect you out. Veterans get a free red t-shirt so you can wear it at one of our, uh, our events that we have going on. Um, but you can also just find out different things and talk to us and we'll connect you with somebody else. If you're saying, Hey, we're looking to be able to do this, you know, we'll say, Hey, this group can do this. Awesome. Appreciate that. Ed. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time on the show here today. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Hey, no problem. Take care. <laughs> Thanks. You're listening to the leadership update brief on C-suite radio. Don't sit on the couch and wait 15 years 
to get involved. That is some of the best advice I've heard about leaving the service. We have any number of places to go, our couch is included after we leave the military. But this is where it becomes imperative for us to find the right places to go and the right things to do in building our future careers and managing what is truly the rest of our lives. Here in Boston, we have any number of services available for vets. It's almost overwhelming, the sheer amount of them that exist, these communities, these tribes. From new organizations started by post-9-11 vets like Team Rubicon and Team Red, White, and Blue, to older organizations like the VFW, American Legion, and AMVETS, all of them are struggling with trying to create that critical mass of members to make the organization not only successful, but to sustain it and make sure that they can continue to be the great places that they all are. Vets, it's up to us to pick one and run with it. There's no wrong answer as long as it's a good personal fit. So find something that's in line with your own values within what you want to do. True story, I was at a local vets event here in Boston, a little informal gathering held in every third Thursday at the point. And during this event, I met dozens of fellow vets, had a couple of drinks, tossed some stories around, and two vets that were there wound up getting a number of us getting a huge amount of assistance from the other patrons because they're both looking for jobs. They found new people to pass out their resumes and any number of us with the appropriate contacts to try to get them in the positions that they wanted to get into. Because in the end, it's just a simple matter of getting out, having those conversations and just getting to know people. Because let's face it, if no one knows what problems and challenges you're facing, how can anyone help? This is the ultimate strength of all of these organizations as they create this great community. And as these organizations grow and collaborate with each other more, that community only grows and becomes more powerful. Thank you, Ed. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Listeners, be sure to check out both his website, ValorWealthPartners.com, and Team Red, White, and Blue at TeamRWB.org. Thank you all for listening. I welcome your comments. You can find me on social media, both Twitter and Facebook at MGMT. Don't miss out on our next Mail Call episode. Email your questions to us at mailcall at leadershipupdatebrief.com or hit us up on social media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, your favorite podcast service. And as always, we're available on C-Suite Radio at c-suitenetwork.com. Thanks again. I look forward to continuing our journey again soon. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. As a loyal fan of this C-Suite Radio show, I've got an incredible offer for you. Listeners to this podcast get 50% off a C-Suite Network membership. The C-Suite Network will help you become the most strategic person in the room. You will have access to top-notch benefits and networking, all helping you get the most out of your position. Take advantage of this limited offer today. Learn more about the C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com CSR. Again, that's 50% off a C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.